This is Heather Fleming, founder and director of InPurpose Educational Services. And this is Delaney Ray, the assistant director of InPurpose Educational Services. And welcome to the Listen, Learn, Love podcast, where comfortable friends engage in sometimes uncomfortable conversations. So put your shame on the shelf. There is no room for shame here. And let's get ready to listen, learn, and love. Normally, right about now, I would say, so Delaney, but today Delaney is taking a little break so that I can have a one-on-one conversation with a friend of ours um, named Chloe Telly. Now, I met Chloe through the work that we began doing with the Missouri Equity Education Partnership. And just let me tell you that she is absolutely brilliant. And I have a feeling that this conversation, as you listen to it, audience, you're going to fall as much in love with her as I am, because she is just compassionate. She's um, loving. She's straightforward. She's for real. And she is an an educator mm-hmm. at heart. Chloe, you actually are a teacher, right? Yes, I am, Heather. So I'm going to give you a chance to just kind of introduce yourself and tell tell my audience a little bit about you. Thank you, Heather. Well, a little bit about myself. I've been an educator for 14 years. I'm an English teacher. I've worked in both Illinois and Missouri. And one of my passions is so that we have the best education system for for all of our students, right? Right. Because, Because whether we know it or not, education that's going to that's the real defender of freedom. Our our ability our ability to express ourselves, but also to have a record of where we've been and where we're going. So when I teach your students English, yes, I teach them English, but the biggest thing I push for them is self-advocacy, the ability to be comfortable with their own scholarly voices, wherever that's coming from. So that's that's pretty much what I do. And yes, I am a huge advocate of, of equity. And I quickly found that. Um, out about you as soon as I was able to, you know, meet you in person, begin working with you, begin talking to you and having these great conversations. That's one of the biggest things that I realized is just how much you advocate not for just not for some children, but for all children. Right. And so can you, can you talk about that a little bit for me? One of the things that I, I'm finding most disturbing and this and this shift that we have in education mm-hmm. is, is that it seems like only certain children will have advocacy and others will be left out. So, for example, when I consistently hear around the state, oh, my goodness, you know, we don't want to teach X, Y and Z because we feel like somehow we're harming we're harming white children or that we're undereducating white children. That that's the exact opposite. I'm the sort of teacher where I teach all students that their voices are valuable and that they all can make can make a difference in the world. And what we're doing is we're sending underlying messages that certain students are more important than others and that certain parents are more important than others. And so when we continue down this road, you're going to have an educational system that's not going to work out for anybody right. because we we all need each other. We're right. we're a village. We're a village. We're not a group, just a group of individuals. 
we are we're a village. I advocate for my white children as well as my Native American children, my Asian-born children. I advocate for everybody because I know that we will not have a successful system unless unless that occurs. Exactly. Right? So, Chloe, the reason why I ended up asking you to be on this program is because I saw this excellent video of yours um, where you were speaking about this issue. And, and what really struck me was that you said our children right now are watching their villages burn. And I think that yes. that's so essential and so important because of the fact mm-hmm. that, you know, I, as an African-American teacher, I, like you, I was an English teacher before I, I began doing this work. You know, the the misnomer and the misunderstanding seems to be that as an African-American teacher, I'm only there for my black students. I remember <laughs> being told so many times when I started, began teaching, you're going to be so good for our black students, for our <laughs> black kids. And I remember telling several people, no, I'm going to be good for all kids. And that remains true because of the, of the fact that, um, you know, with the work that I do and the way that I taught, it's about all my kids, my white kids, as well as my my African-American students, my, you know, Asian students, my we can go down the, the list of all of the kids that I still consider my babies. And, you know, that 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 becomes something that I want people to understand, like when they really sit and they say, well, it's damaging to white children. Right. Well, well, what bothers me, same thing that bothers you. Well, wait a minute. Where was this conversation when our black children weren't able to see themselves in their curriculum or when our black children's experiences yes. or Asian children's experiences or Hispanic children's experiences weren't represented in the literature and or in, in, in what we were teaching? And they don't realize that when we're talking about like right now, the, the big claim is they're trying to put. CRT and everything. They're even putting oh it in math. Goodness. They're putting it in math. I'm like, y'all. So sad. The only way that we're doing something in math is by making sure that our names reflect diverse experiences. So instead of every word problem being based around little Jill and little John, um, that perhaps it's based upon little Dikembe, little, um, you know. But, but um, you know, Heather. If I can speak to that, Mm -hmm. the greatest downfall of the American educational system is that we believe we have bought into this lie that we're still number one in everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. When I go and I research the teaching methods of like, for example, a Chinese classroom, Mm -hmm. they not only bring in examples from one culture they literally combine other cultures in their curriculum and you know why they do that and they do that in their math especially because they know that not one culture captures everything and guess what else it allows them to apply it allows them to experiment Mm -hmm. it allows them to invent but when I believe that I'm the only game in town the only narrative the only story if I'm the best why do I have to look to other people 
This is why when Americans sit back and say, oh my God, what's going on with our math and science test scores? I can take you to China. I can take you to an Ethiopia. I can take you to all these different countries. And they use cultural responsive curriculums because they're comparing and contrasting what other cultures are doing. And that's why when it's at the end of the day, they're coming out ahead of us because they have more solutions and more stories at their hand while we still cling on to this. This is the only way to do it. I remember that math CRT uh, accusation and that was shameful. Because it's very shameful. It's shameful. First of all, let me say this, Heather, on this program right now. Shame on you lawmakers in Missouri. I went through political science just like you did, and you know what CRT is. You were exposed to it like I was. So that means you know what you're pushing to these people is not true. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm not and I'm not just a teacher. I'm a Sunday school teacher. A lie is a lie any day of the week. All right. <laughs> I'm, all right. Listen, where's my church organ? <laughs> a lie is a lie any day of the week. If you're not telling the truth, you're telling a lie. When I speak to these parents, Heather, mm-hmm. I hear real stories. Right. I'm hearing a parent. I was at a Missouri Prosper meeting. This parent said, Chloe, my child had an IEP and I tried to get in contact with the school and I was brushed off. That's a real story. That's a real story. That's a real story. Yes. I talked to another Missouri Prosper parent. She said, my student was going to be suspended. And when I came up to try to advocate for my student, I was told that It was none of my business. And I was given a tap dance when actually I was trying to advocate and work with the schools. So what you have seen happen, Heather, is is that these people, these politicians who know they're lying, Mm -hmm. have taken real parent concerns. Because what's uglier than telling a parent that their child's in danger? Right. Right. What's uglier than that? So I'm so. I've already am insecure about my child as a parent. You 24-7 worry about your child. So what is uglier than me taking a basic parent instinct and using it against you? Because what I picked up on a lot of those parents, half of them weren't even studying CRT. They were trying to understand why they couldn't get more advocacy from the schools. Mm. And, you know, that's the shame of it. Like, for instance, mm-hmm. the person who has now filed what's called the Parents, Parents Bill of Rights. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, Nick, Representative Nick Schroer, I'll go ahead. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to be political. We really are talking about um, equity education and, and advocating for it. Um, and let me, he's let me an attorney. You. He's an attorney. That's he right. knows. He's had exposure to CRT. He's, he knows he's had what exposure it is. to CRT. He knows yes, he what does. it is. But more than that, he also knows the rights that parents already have. And he knows that he wrote into this bill rights hmm. that parents already have in order to misrepresent that perhaps they don't have it. And now he's the one that's going to come in and, and make sure that they have it. The only thing that was new in that bill was taking away the rights of black and brown parents to say, no, I want my child's experience 
and background um, placed into the curriculum. I wanted to be part of the curriculum. That's the only part because he outlawed so-called CRT. But the problem is, is that what he's really outlawing is equity education and an equitable education. And, and, he- and Heather, can I make you laugh? Yes, that. Yes. So the, these people all advocate school choice, correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What is one of their greatest pushes for school choice? Oh, the public schools underservice minority students. Well, that's the definition of CRT to sit up and look at how institutions are underserving minorities and coming up with a solution. So the very platform you're pushing actually is CRT applied. Yeah. Yeah, it's all, it's, it's a misnomer. It's a misnomer. Um, it's most of the bills that we're currently following regarding trying to ban equity education are misnamed. Yes. Um, it's, uh, you know, like according to ending discrimination in, in <laughs> education. Well, the problem is that the, the bills are actually promoting discrimination in education because it's saying we're going to codify that there are some experiences that are more important to learn about than other experiences. We're going to codify um, the privilege of being able to learn about your culture in schools while denying it to other people. Um, we're going to we're going to codify basically supremacy. And well, that's yeah. what ends up being very, very unfair. And what's sad is their representation of being white is so poor. I, let, let me just let me just get let, listen, Heather. I'm yes, listen. Please. I'm I'm not here for it. Listen, mm-hmm. <laughs> they're not even giving you good history on white people, folks. They're not. They're not. Do you know that the German immigrants? who came to Missouri, you want to talk Black Lives Matter? Our German immigrants came here fighting slavery tooth and nail. They wouldn't put up with it. Judge Crinkle, that's one who you never hear about. Uh, Oh my goodness, Thomas Fletcher, a Herculaneum from Herculaneum. Hey, all of these German immigrants came in and said, no, never again, and they meant it. And they stood toe-to-toe with a very pro-slavery Missouri. Now, how dare these people who use the name of Lincoln come in and say that they're for a certain type of history? It's against your own legacy. We don't have good representation of white people in our history books. We don't have good representation of black people. We have a very narrow scope, a very narrow view. And so you mean to tell me we would rather put over the old, tired, colonized version of history than to look at history as rich as my God. Missouri in and of itself is a CRT, is a CRT case. There were people who fought for, for the freedom of non-white people and white people, by the way, because there's history in that, too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I, I will tell you that um, one of the things that I say uh, often is the fact that, you know, 
too often the civil rights movement is is mm. framed as black people versus white people and that just wasn't yes. true. We it's had not. so many white people who fought with us and died, yes. you know, uh, and died and went through all of the same things that that a lot of us went through. There were white people there on Bloody Sunday. Yes, you know, are. there were white people who were who were murdered in Mississippi and in and in Alabama and in other states while they were trying to defend this right. And so that's what we need to start doing. I think we need to start yes. changing the narrative. Um, this was not a black versus white thing. This no, was a right versus a, a right versus wrong thing. Period. And even now with this whole CRT thing, you know, I we've talked about this, but yes. we we really need to put it forward. We need to stop defending CRT and equity education. And we That's need to it. start asking people, well, wait a minute, what what is the problem that you have with it? Why aren't you pro um equity education? Why would you deny so many of our students, black and brown students, the opportunity to meet with the same success that your students have been allowed to um, meet with. We need to start asking these questions in earnest and put and make the put the onus on them. Exactly. To say, no, give me your reasons, because the reality is they're going to say a lot of different things. But when we get to the heart of it, it becomes about the fact that it. it there's, they feel threatened. They feel threatened by the empowerment of people who have been traditionally underserved and marginalized. And that's where we have to keep defending. And the fact that these people are okay with continuing a legacy of, of having black and brown children perform at lower levels meet with yeah. less success for black and brown people to be um, unable to build generational wealth, to meet with success in the, in the business um, atmosphere. The fact that they're okay with, you know, Oh, we're going to point out just a few outliers. We're going to point out Oprah and we're going to point out, you know, these, right. uh, Michael Jordan and, and LeBron James. But at the same time, you're listening to people who told LeBron James to shut, just shut up and dribble. But yet look at everything he's doing in the community. And what are you doing? You're doing nothing. And so that's the point that I really wish that we could get to um, as we began, you know, really saying this. There are more people. I believe this in my heart. There are more of us who support equity education and want an equitable society than there That's are it. people who are trying to silence and muffle and suppress. And it's, <laughs> it's not going to be until all of us are willing to say, you know what, Th this can't happen anymore. And Heather, I'm yes. going to say it and get on past it. Equity cannot be the sole responsibility of black people to fight for. I'm going to say it and get on past it yeah. because to me, our school districts across this state have not done enough. They haven't. They have not stood up. They have not said this is not. Ex Let me ask you a question. If I stood up right now and told you all the Holocaust did not happen. I would be met with so much resistance and I'm supposed to be. 
the fact that we're sitting here silent and even those who say, oh, I'm an ally. You know what, folks? I'm a bit tired as a black woman being the far front voice of equity. Black people in Missouri, at best, we make up 11% of Missouri at, on our good day. Right. <laughs> 11%. So the remainder of that needs to get up and say, this is not the sort of community I want to educate my student in where people are closed mind against the experiences of others or they take their insecurities and they and they present them to a school board and legitimize them. I do not want to be a part of a state where people run with and we're going to stop calling it a conspiracy theory. Remember, I had that in a post where mm-hmm. people take a lie because that's what this is at this point, a lie. Right. A lot. Let's call it what it is. Let's call it what it is. And continue and continue to put forth like I'm telling the truth. How often have I challenged people to show me, to explain to me why Christopher Rufo, one of the many voices of this anti-CRT movement, has openly said he has misrepresented CRT and that he would turn it into something else and I can't get a response back from people. So that means if you know one of the people who's come up with your talking points has discredited himself, why are you still running with it? Um, if you, why are yeah. you still running with why it? Why are you still running with it? Yeah. If, you, if you sit up here and we're telling you, hey, Desi did a survey and it's available on Desi. I'm trying to see right now if I have it pulled up here. Oh, I, you know what? I already know the results. <laughs> I right. can quote them. There Only- was one school district that said that they use any form of CRT. And one. again, because of the fact that, that Christopher Rufo has taken it and, and changed the definition of it, we're not even sure if that one school district was talking about CRT or equity education. But there was only one school district that said that they taught um, CRT. And then there was only three school districts that said that they taught anything from the 1619 project. So my question is, then what are we outlawing? What What are we outlawing? See... We have to get to the, first of all, and let me go back to the school districts, because mm-hmm. all this starts at ground zero. You have been doing the work with me. Kelly's been doing the work with me. Quite a few people have been doing the work with me. When this first got started, I contacted and spoke to many people, many of the superintendents, and I said, you need to right now find out what's going on. Somewhere along the way, we have lost the trust of our parents. Somewhere that relationship has become fractured to the point where an extreme agenda can step in and just run with it. Because the stories I just told you earlier, my God, who would not feel for a parent who feels like there's no hope for a child with an IEP? Who would not feel for a parent who felt like his student was literally being target or he was basically being called a bad parent by his school district who wouldn't feel for a parent who was told your child can't catch up and blah. hey at what point did we as school districts lose the trust love and respect of our parents and until we rebuild that community you will see extremism like this but because we ignored it when it first got started see isn't this one of the isn't this one of the pillars of white supremacy to call it something else Right. Okay. Okay. 
We called it something else when this first got started. Now here we are. Yeah. I will tell you this. I will tell you this, that you're Hmm. you're correct. I think that a lot of school districts have moved away from um, understanding exactly who they serve. And so what has happened is that they've replaced, they think that they're serving students, but in a lot of ways, many of them are actually serving the public and they're responding so much to outside pressure from the public that they're not taking stands that they need to take, take for the students. And then there's certain things that they don't do for parents because they're trying to think from a politicized perspective instead of yes. thinking from a very suit, you know, student-centered perspective. And in the process, there's a lot of parents and there's a lot of kids that are getting left behind. You are correct. The first thing that should have happened as soon as all of this started coming up is this um, school district should have said, we have a responsibility to educate all of our students. Period. Um, banning banning culturally responsive teaching because that's also CRT. Oh God! <laughs> it, it's liber- it's literally culturally responsive teaching. The acronym is CRT. So by banning culturally responsive teaching, what what would we be doing? We would be saying it is okay for us to not serve a percentage of our kids. And I'll give you this. In particular, what Christopher Rufo said, we have successfully frozen their brand, critical race theory, into the public conversation and are steadily driving up negative perceptions. We will eventually turn it toxic as we put all the various cultural insanities, meaning anything about social justice, under that brand category. The goal is to have the public read something crazy in the newspaper and immediately think critical race theory. We have decodified the term and will recodify it to annex the entire range of cultural constructions that are unpopular with Americans. And when he says Americans, please Mm -hmm. make sure that we're clear on what he means. He means white conservative Americans. And And Yes. And that's that's another problem that I have. I'm tired of me paying taxes and not be thought thought of when they say taxpayers. I'm tired of me being an American fighting for my, um, you know, my communities and fellow citizens and still not be included in the term. American, you know, and taxpayer. I'm I'm tired of all of that because in the end, you know, like, for instance, with the bill that Mr. Schroer introduced, that bill basically takes away my rights as a parent and taxpayer in in favor of, again, white conservative community members, their taxpaying dollars, their rights as taxpayers and as parents. Um, No, I want my daughter, I want my children to be in schools where they are not only appreciated, but celebrated. I want them to be in schools where their culture is a an honored part of the curriculum and a part of the school culture. And we can't have that with these laws that are in place. And I just don't understand where people don't realize that that's not just an educational failure, but it's a moral failure. And let's go into the morality. You know, Heather, it's, it's no, it's no secret 
that, and, and I will get a little political here. I'm not the most liberal member you all have. Mm-mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So when you start talking about Republican values and conservative values, I'm appalled at what's being put forth here because there was a Republican named Frederick Douglass who said that the safety of the black man lies with Republicans. And he said that during a time where he was learning how to read and he found his, his liberation began with the very act of reading. He found the vocabulary to fight against his oppression He found the vocabulary, too. And you know what? I'm going to go a step further. The fact that Republicans don't even know their own history, they wouldn't have made this bill if they knew their own history. Because there's there's no way you have someone like Douglas, an actual black Republican, and you come up with this? Really? But to be Mm -hmm. fair, one of the things that we know, one of the things that we know is is that... um, Let's be honest, racism um, caused the parties to basically flip. Sure. And so Frederick Douglass, my my great-great-grandmother, who was Mm -hmm. the daughter of former slaves, former Mm -hmm. enslaved people, she was a Republican, diehard Republican. But it was at a time... And I know I knew her, you know, that I have pictures with her holding me. Um, It was at a time, though, when the Republican Party was very much like if we wouldn't recognize if we looked at the Republican platform from the 1960s, it would 1950s. We wouldn't recognize it. We wouldn't recognize it, especially with this new radicalized Republican Party that we currently have. We wouldn't recognize it. And the main reason why is because, you know, when when it came down to the Dixiecrats and when certain things were put into place, the Dixiecrats um, were so angered by um, the moves that. Uh, other Republicans were making within their party that they turned around and they said, hey, uh, we're going to go over to the other side. And and since then, the parties have just become um, very, very radicalized. And the problem is, is that one keeps pushing the other further and further right because uh, – I won't get into all that because that's not the purpose of this podcast, but I will just say that you're right. When we look at um, people and ideas, you know, there's just there's right and there's wrong. There's wrong. And and at the end of the day. So when I look at, first of all, the fact that Missouri claims to uh, say, hey, every school board has local control. Well, how do you legislating this sort of bill? equal local control. Then when I look at there's there's been some recommendations such as the 1776 project, which I also have my views on. Mm-hmm. I've I've read that closely. And that too wouldn't even pass their CRT legislation whether they know it or not. But when I look at Undesi uh, bylaw 160, section 516, curriculum, 
textbooks or other instructional materials cannot be mandated. So this is my problem with this bill and why I don't understand how this even got out of hand, Heather. From the jump, we're going against our own bylaws. That's true. Uh, so, so hold on. We're, we, we want to so badly remain comfortable in a certain narrative about history to the point where we're going against our own laws. We're going against our own values where local school boards maintain control and people are just simply overlooking this. Mm -hmm. Folks, this is how you get things like authoritarianism. This is how you get fashion. This is how you get all those isms that people throw around all the time. People getting comfortable in the name of feeling secure in something. And, you know, and I'm like, you, we said, we said we talk about the parent bill of rights. Again, everything that's in that, we all, you already have those rights, parents. You need to talk to people beyond folks who have political ambitions mm -hmm. and find out your rights. I'm even willing, Heather, this is one thing I want to uh, shout out to my own school district. Do different districts. Do we have a, a night where we train our parents on what they can do to advocate for their students? Because part of this is part of the pushback must be us rebuilding community with our parents because some you're not going to get everybody on board, right? Right. Because when you have somebody who says, you know, CRT is in math, I, I don't know what you do with that. But for that parent, and this was most of them that I've talked with, whether it's Missouri Prosper, whether it's the Francis Howell parents, whether it's Webster parents, whether it's Rockwood parents, whether it's Parkway, so on and so forth. I've heard real stories. And if we arm those parents with what they can do to honestly advocate to affect real change, mm -hmm. you'll see these narratives lessen. I believe that. Yeah. Well, that's um, then that's the work that we need to be doing. That's, that's where we it. need to start, and that's, that's um, what we need to do. But what we, what I, I again want to reiterate that what I think we do need to stop doing is trying to defend why. Yes, we need to do this work. It's because it's a waste point, of time. Yeah, it's a waste of time. And the reason mm -hmm. why it's a waste of time is because those people who are are unconvinced of the honor um, and the sanctity of black and brown lives That's are not it. going to be convinced by the arguments that we make. And so now we need to, we, we honestly do need to just get it to a point where it's like, you know what, it's an either or type thing. Either you're on the side of right or you're not. And if you're not, that's, that's okay. It. But be able to stand in that, be able to be able to go ahead and admit it's because I don't care. Okay. I can I can deal with that, and I think that's, that's point, the other part. Point, that's what it is. At this yeah, point, I that's think that's, what it the, is. that's the that's the part that I have the most problem with. This 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 whole thing is disingenuous when you try to say yes. it's about the kids. No, it's not about the kids. Not at it's all. about your kids, and yes. that ends up being a big difference. I tell people all the time. The difference between me and, and people that are against equity is that I'm fighting for all kids. They're fighting for some kids. That's it. And that's the best way to say it. And here's the thing. 
I get so tired. Like you said, at this point, it's a waste of time mm -hmm. to, to go back and forth about equity, to go back and forth about CRT. I've even lessened a lot of my posts about those because there are people who are absolutely convinced that equity is about taking from white children or that CRT is about doubling white children. It's none of the above. But one thing I would like to do, those reasonable parents, those parents who are truly have truly felt for whatever reason marginalized, who are really looking for solutions, I would love, I would love for those parents to learn that they do have a right to opt out of, like, for example, one parent asked me, well, when my student has a survey, your student legally per DESE has a right to opt out of surveys. They can do that. Mm -hmm. your, your child, if they have a lesson plan that offends you, you can opt out of that lesson plan. In fact, let me speak to my experience as a teacher. I have alternative lesson plans. I'll teach the same skills. Because I tell people when parents come up to me, I don't come with the attitude like, oh, they just offended because of X, Y, and Z. No. I'm human. And on any given day, all of us have offended someone knowingly and unknowingly. All of us have. Mm -hmm. So I'm willing to say, you know what, let's try this differently. Or like, for example, we have the big rigmarole about books. Now, whenever I distribute anything for a student to read, I will put some sort of warning on it that says, hey, this is contained in this book. And again, if a parent contacts me, I do give them options. But having the biggest lie want to want combat it for especially those parents who literally are looking for true empowerment is, is that you already do have the power. Yeah. You already do. You already do. But and I guess that too, again, I, I I want to stress that, you know, we, we continue narratives that states that it's an either or proposition. Either exactly. we can have equity education or we can have rigor. And that's just not true. Oh I um, had equity as part of my um, classes for forever. And I'll never forget there was one year that um, they put up the, the scores and it was anonymously done, but it was seven teachers who taught um, English two. And so they put up our map scores and there were two teachers whose map scores were just very, very high. And I, I remember watching with some of my colleagues look around and guess everyone except me, but that's a whole nother conversation. Sure. And so, Finally, I had to point to them and say, no, these these scores right here, those are mine. And they were my kids um, from my English two class. But more mm -hmm. than that, I went through and I looked at all of the students who had had me for both um, freshman year and sophomore year. And their scores were even higher. And let me uh, let me speak to this. When we talk about equity also, I, I want us to expand it because we'd be remiss if we did not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I had students come to my class who were English language learners. Mm -hmm. I've had many, and I'm sure you have too, mm -hmm. students in special education. Folks, when these people go after equity, they're going after 
all of your children. They think that they're only going after some of your children, but the reality is they're going after all of your children because on some level, all of your students, they benefit from equity. So my student, I had a student who had an IEP when I first met her in her Mm -hmm. freshman year. By her Mm -hmm. senior year, she was taking six honors classes and doing well in them all. And that's because in that classroom, I took out time with that student. We sat down, looked for ways for her to advocate for herself, to understand how she learned and why she learned the way she did so Mm -hmm. she could advocate for herself. And when she was given the proper interventions, she could jump high, if not higher, than our students without IEPs or your low-income students. Folks, when they talk about taking away equity, they're talking about coming for all of your kids. And I I get really upset about that, too, because, (laughs) um, you know, like with, with me, equity, what it ended up meaning was that all of my kids could bring their experiences into the room. And so that was not just my, you know, um, students from marginalized groups. It was my white students too. It was my heterosexual students. It was all of our, all of the kids, they could bring their experience into the room and have it honored. And so I had, like, for instance, I have a, and, and I don't think that he would be upset about me mentioning his name. I have a baby named Trevor. Okay. Yeah. My baby, um, he is now 25. And no, he just turned 26. I'm sorry. Back in October. Um, He's now 26. And uh, when he was in high school, he took me for every single class that he could. Mm -hmm. All right. And when he was taking me for classes, um, it was because I, I I loved him. I honored him. But at the same time, did we have tough conversations? Yes, we did. To this day, t- Trevor can tell you, I used to joke with him, you know, if if you end up with a black woman and she gets a fresh um, sew-in, the best mm-hmm. thing you can do is bring her a rat tail comb home. Okay. Okay. And he still to this day, that's our little in- in- inside joke. He's like, I'm like, baby, what do you need to bring home a woman with a fresh sew in? <laughs> He'll be like, right tail comb. He knows. And but he was able to bring his full experience into the room, too, to the point that his mom, she wouldn't call admin if someone was going. And this was even when he wasn't in my classes. If something was going on with him by his um, the end of his sophomore year she would automatically call me because she knew that he was so loved and so accepted in my classrooms, despite, you know, his, his experiences, what he was going through, um, his ups, his downs, whatever it is, that's what they continue to try to deny um, people. And we just, I've gotten to the point where it's like, don't you all realize how, racism and and prejudice and bias, how it hurts you too. Recently, I heard a story about um, a school district down in Southern Missouri. They can't find a Spanish teacher. Yeah. And they can't find a Spanish teacher because there's so much racism, blatant racism within the community that there's no one who is Spanish speaking or who teaches Spanish 
Because let's be honest, if someone has examined cultures, they tend not to be very closed minded about other cultures. But this community cannot find a Spanish teacher because of the fact that no one wants to come into their community. Spanish is the second most spoken um, language in the whole world. So look at how you're missing out. And the biggest thing I tell people is it's cultural competency. My um, Trevor, he is able to work with any group of people. But the main reason why he's able to is because not because I've taught him to hate himself. No, it's because I've taught him how to love others and how to accept others and how to make an environment inclusive for others as well as himself. And so that's what people are missing out on when they say we don't need an inclusive education. We don't want this. We don't want diverse books. We don't want people, you know, our children learn about other things. And then I'll wrap up by telling you this, and then I'll let you have one last word. Sure. You know, the other part is you're right. They're going to take away all these rights that they <laughs> think they're taking away until it flips on them. Because hey. if you're going to sit and you're going to say, hey, I don't want my any, I don't want my, any children in my school district to be able to read The Hate You Give. Or to be able to read, you know, certain and specific books written by black and brown people, then that means that I should have the right to go in and say, I don't want my children. That's it. Reading um, Shakespeare. That's it. And that's what's going to happen. I don't want them reading Othello because it's blatantly racist. It's Listen, listen, Heather. Yeah. Listen, I'm not even trying to take over. Listen. Yeah, I am low key. But (laughs) listen, that's exactly what's going to happen. This is why our school districts must become more adept at dealing with conflict, because there's going to come a time now. So you're opening the door right now. So you're opening the doors for for a bunch of people to sit down and say, and I even told one parent when we spoke from Francis Howell, I said a curriculum that's driven by offense is a curriculum that's not going to last long because I can be offended by anything. I told you at the beginning of this, at the beginning of this program, I'm a Sunday school teacher, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's pretend like I'm a student. I should be able to opt out of Greek mythology then because in my religion, that's not, that's not viewed as legitimate. Right. Do you, do you see how this works? Right. Now, instead of me now, instead of me sitting down and learning to see why they came up with what they came up with and why they thought these gods were effective or whatever, whatever, whatever. Now, I've decided to shut off that part of my world. And that's what they're opening the doors to, because this this will flip. Yeah, I I want women. Hold on. Let's take take down time. Three fifty December 5th. Just like I told these schools to get to get a hold of this. 350 mm-hmm. on December 5th. I am telling you right now on this Sunday that this will flip and turn into a disaster if this right. goes on. Mm-hmm. Right. I, mm-hmm. I believe that. I That's believe it. That. That's it. So, Miss Chloe, I, I thank you again for joining us. I I always love talking to you. You are so brilliant. You are so kind and loving and wonderful. And I would love if you would join us again. I would love to be on 
because we need empowerment here in Missouri. We need it. We do. We do. Mm-hmm. We do. And next time we'll bring, um, we'll make sure that Delaney is able to join us as well mm-hmm. so that um, we can all share some good thoughts. Okay. Yes. All Thank right. You. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. You can email us at listenlearnlove at inpurposeea.com. Find us on Facebook at Listen Learn Love Podcast. And please consider supporting us through Patreon at patreon.com backslash listenlearnlove. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at inpurposees or on Twitter at inpurposeea. Hey, we'll see you next week.